Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Well, Catherine Whittaker and myself, David Law, are in separate climbs. I am coming to you from my windowless office at uh, half past midnight in Solihull. Catherine is in Montreal in a rather more hmm, picturesque setting <laughs> than mine. And she's, I've just heard her, actually, she's in her hotel room. She's just ordered something called Arctic Char for her room service. What is that, Catherine, before we get on to tennis? I genuinely don't know. It's under. The, it's in the fish section. I figured it's it's local, given that I haven't heard of it. Right. And go, going local is generally the the thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what comes. You you should you, you should find out live on the podcast what Arctic Char is. I cannot so wait. And uh, hold on to your hats, al- folks. Almost as exciting as the Washington final that we have just witnessed <laughs> between Nick Kyrgios and uh, Daniel Medvedev. So much to talk about today because uh, we've had the the Washington final. There, there's there's currently one going on at the moment. As as we come to you, I, I've I've got on my TV in in the office here. Uh, Zheng Saisai against Serena Sabalenka, who's making a bit of a comeback form-wise um, in the final in San Jose. We had the Los Cab... Is it La- Los Cabos final? Los Cabos, right. yeah. Uh, Kitzbühel final. So much stuff has happened. Um, and, uh, and Catherine's there for Amazon Prime Video for uh, covering Montreal. So what a week ahead. What a week that that has just gone. But, I mean... Every week, Catherine, we or every year, we'll have some sort of Nick Kyrgios-related conversation where we pledge never to get carried away again. <laughs> and uh, and then something like this week happens with, with Kyrgios. He's won Washington. He's beaten Dan- Daniel Medvedev in the final in straight sets. And he's, ju- he's just given an, uh, a speech afterwards in which he's, he's described it as one of the best weeks of his entire life, one of his favourite weeks of his entire life. He's been in an incredible mood all week. He said he feels like he's made major strides. I mean, I don't even know where to start with the tennis and the and the stuff that's gone on on the court, but let's just treat it in isolation. It was a fantastically uplifting experience from my point of view, just to watch it, just to enjoy it. What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, in the um, 
the WhatsApp chat that uh, you, me and my brother have. That it, Can I give away the name of the WhatsApp chat? Go on, then. It's called Kiryoptimists. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been called a few things over the weeks and months that it's existed. I think, in fact, the name of the group changed about 12 times during the course of a single Nick Kyrgios match. Uh, a few weeks back, but it is currently and has been for a while, at least since Wimbledon, called Kiri Optimists. Uh, in that chat, I described the week, the whole week in Washington as electrifying, and that is largely down to Nick Kyrgios. Stefanos Tsitsipas played a part, Daniil Medvedev played a part today, the Murray brothers in the doubles played a part, but uh, it was Nick Kyrgios that provided an absolutely spine-tingling week of tennis it was just it's just brilliant it was just everything you could everything you could want and I loved his celebration today I mean I loved everything about today and even more so last night the match against uh, Sitsipas which we will come on to in great detail well, what was his celebration but- Catherine just to, for anybody who hasn't seen it he collapsed on the floor he collapsed on the floor um, he did uh, many gestures. Well, and then he ran over to the to the woman in in the front row of the stand behind him, who had uh, advised him where to serve on match point, which is Kyrgios's apparent new signature move. Which, again, in in Kiri optimists, is very much approved of. Uh, so he ran over and gave that lady a hug to to thank her for her contribution to his victory. Um, he showed he cared. David, didn't he? He showed that he cared. and uh, What's more, I, Catherine, he admitted he cared as well. Yeah. Which is, I think, quite, quite a big moment in itself. Just to, just to accept, yeah, actually, you know what? This does mean something to me. Uh, I mean, as regards, let's just take that signature move, as you, you quite rightly call it, in, in, in well, itself. Well, you called it. Well, he did you it three it. times over the course of, of the week. And... Um, I I found it hilarious against Stefanos Tsitsipas that because it's it starts to remind me of Tiger Woods putting his red shirt on for the final round of majors um, and it, to to go even more extreme and probably more appropriate than comparing him to Tiger Woods is to compare him to my old favorite WWF wrestlers back in the in the eighties and nineties who would have their as as the American commentators would call it their patented maneuver. Uh, I'm thinking of you are you are permanently David on the lookout for opportunities to uh, bring wrestling. Yeah. Into conversation. I'm thinking of people like Jake the Snake Roberts, who had the DDT. <laughs> I don't know any of these references. Well, I'll t- don't worry. I've got I've got it all on video. Uh, Apparently, there's something called an, an elbow. An elbow. What did Math call yeah. it? Hang on, I'm scrolling back through the chat. It was a good. It was a good uh, attempt by Math to, to... the the people's elbow. Yeah, it was a nice try. Suddenly, I was involved in a chat about WWE, WWF. I don't know yeah, what they call it. That's right. It. That's right. Um, um, so yeah, I, don't worry. I've wasn't got what I signed I've up got for. all these on on VHS videos <laughs> from the eighties and nineties. I don't have anything. Do you to play have a VHS player? No. But I'm go- oh, I, they do, you can buy them, apparently, next to the gramophones. Um, so uh, anyway, he's developed this thing where he, he'll, he'll 
it hits match point. He goes up to to the f- first person he sees on the front row, or somebody he might have had a bit of chat with, and he says, "Where shall I serve?" A <laughs> match point. I mean, it's, I can't even believe I'm saying that, and and it's now become his thing. I I just really hope he carries it on because. I, I think it's one of the funniest developments in tennis I've seen in years, and and I mean, but he's so di- it's it's so disarming, isn't it? All of these things, which I, I'm not, I don't think this is on a conscious level. I don't think this is calculated at all. But all of these things, which are sort of a quirky little sideshow, a quirky little signature move or whatever from, from Nick Kyrgios, they're also just the most absolutely genius tactics aren't they one i mean to to take that one in isolation a it's uh it keeps him loose doesn't it It, he does it in the tensest moments he does it when he could be standing there on the service line thinking about how big the point is coming up thinking about how important that first serve is going up and speaking to the blonde lady on the front row and asking her where he should serve and getting the crowd reaction to that it's all distraction it's also um, again, I'm just. I should, should just read out the Kyrioptimist chat, shouldn't I? Which is sort of what I'm doing. But it's also a great mind game for for the opponent. I mean, where you serve on the big points, you know, your patterns of play. That's that's a huge part of tennis. We know that sort of data analytics and so on are becoming a bigger, a bigger part of tennis. I mean, all the top guys employ someone to do data analytics for them I don't think many really professional tennis players go into big matches without having had some kind of you know analytics going on of the their opponent's patterns of play particularly on serve so to completely take that out of your opponent's hands to to sort of layer on the I mean the the second guessing about where they might be about to serve is I mean it's genius it is inadvertently genius it is also saying to your opponent right the match is about to end because I mean so far he's three and zero he hasn't lost any of those match points I don't know what happens if you lose one of them and then have to have another match point do you go and ask somebody else where to serve I mean that hasn't happened yet so we don't know the full. Um, genesis and, and development and evolution of this we, tactic we could re- we could reach a stage where tournaments start uh, doubling the price of uh, front row tickets for Kyrgios's matches yeah. because you know you, you might because of audience participation it's extraordinary do you do you think though i mean let's just have a very ser- a slight serious slant to this because um should should he be doing this i mean should he should he be allowed to do this there is an argument to say that oh, well, uh, you're not you're not allowed to ask people's yeah, opinion in the crowd. Yeah, but it's a really boring argument. I can't be bothered with it. I just it's 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 fine, isn't it? It's, it's I mean, we should all have bigger fish to fry. With, with him, than, and, with him and Sitsipas yesterday, you got Sitsipas having an ongoing conversation with his dad and all the shoe malarkey, which we can will come yeah, on to. You got Kyrgios. Stefanos, if Stefanos Sitsipas is able is able to enlist two separate people in the crowd brackets his dad and Leander Pays, of which more to come to help fix his shoes, then I think Nick Kyrgios well, my, <laughs> can ask someone whether he thinks they my should My point serve. is that we, we, we had a US Open controversy that, that went on for, for a matter of weeks over a little sign that Patrick Moritoglu gave to Serena Williams, and yet we're getting full-on conversations. 
Uh, I'm just just putting it out yeah, there. Yeah, I know. How, there's loads I know of, there's loads what you're of double doing standards here, David. Here. You're delving into the Kyrgios double standards, which absolutely exist, and I am a victim of them, and you are too. I mean, check out his language are. yesterday. It was it was I, unbelievable yeah. that that he didn't get warned for for some of the words that he was using. Now, I mean, I, I'm I'm not a massive prude about bad language. I use it a bit myself occasionally. Um, but I have to say, I, I and and there's a lot of people that would say, look, if you're going to go and watch Nick Kyrgios, you know what you're going to get. It's up to you if you bring your your kids, etc. Which I also take on board. A lot of people don't know that much about tennis, and they might not know anything about how he's going to behave until they get there. They just go and see the tennis. You could say, well, shouldn't maybe tennis matches, a bit like movies, have a certification? What? Well, I- a Kyrgios certification like for a, matches. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it's just consistency. It's consistency of application of the rules, isn't it? I'm not remotely offended by swearing. I don't, I don't care at all. I accept that people are. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't feel strongly that there shouldn't be a rule about swearing. Um, whatever, just whatever rule there is, please apply it consistently. Mm. Okay. That is all that I ask, and and I, yeah. I would apply that to every rule in tennis. That's what infuriates people, isn't it? Yes. Again, with the on-court coaching rule, that's what infuriated Serena Williams. Oh, I think my Arctic char is here. Oh, but I'll tell you what, folks. We'll, we'll be back in a second. More, more of the Arctic <laughs> char in just a moment. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. It's just someone bringing me a chocolate for my pillow. 
So, so we, we've had a big build-up, folks, and we thought the Arctic Char was here. They've brought I'm me my dessert. Waiting on tenterhooks. I can't wait to find out what it is. Um, I mean, maybe Arctic Char is a sort of uh, coin-sized chocolate, but I don't think particularly so. nourishing. Uh, anyway, okay, all right. Well, let's talk about the other stuff that went on with uh, with Kyrgios this week. The, we mentioned this match against Sitsipas yesterday. Uh, I, I sort of vaguely saw some of his matches earlier in the week, Kyrgios, and the first thing I noticed when I first saw him play was just what a great mood he was in. And it was it was reminiscent of what we saw in Acapulco earlier this year, which he also won, which he beat Nadal and he beat Zverev and he was incredible that, that week. Um, and you just see this this upbeat kind of veneer to his personality, which I love to see that. And and then you add on what you had yesterday, a guy like Sitsipas, who who he's suddenly become best buds with and he started playing doubles with him and, and he's been really warm and cosy with him. And yet he went out there and he clearly wanted to show off and he wanted to prove himself to Sitsipas and he wanted to prove every, to everybody just how good he is because he clearly rates Sitsipas. And he went 6-4, two love up. And I don't even think Sitsipas was playing badly. It was just mind-bending what Kyrgios was able to do out there in terms of the... He, he was blitzing his forehand he was he was striking his backhand pretty much to perfection he was throwing in the variety i i just find myself lost for words what he's able to do on a tennis court when he's on song it was utterly mesmerizing wasn't it i I mean i still throughout i thought and i should caveat this with the fact that i i landed in montreal mid-match i landed and uh immediately looked up because uh, it was midway through the second set and i immediately looked up at matt's live tweeting of events uh, on the tennis podcast twitter account and i couldn't when you see it all written down and you read it all in the space of about a minute and a half it it it, it looks it looks i mean it was ridiculous i suppose but it's that sort of condensed form of ridiculousness was I mean couldn't couldn't believe what I was saying I had to check with Matt that he hadn't been hijacked or something (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then and then there was a point at which uh, Matt was uh, editing Leander Pays's Wikipedia account it was uh, it was the the twilight zone of tennis it was just magical the whole thing, absolutely magical. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, and the tennis matched it. The tennis matched it. That's that's the best thing about it, that it wasn't just fun and games and magic trips, tricks and circus-like antics, all of which, or most of which, I'm very much up for. But it was really smart, solid, spellbinding tennis as well. Yeah, We should say, though... We saw the other side to Kyrgios as well during the match. I would say the two hours and seven minutes of that match pretty much um, showed you his entire career uh, right right there. And at 6-4-2, love, like I say, couldn't have been playing better at all. And he, there was a moment where he celebrated with the crowd by walking along the perimeter of the court and fist bumping about 15 people. Having having won the first set, it was just—I mean—he just draws you in. He just, and everybody's loving it. Suddenly, 
at two love up in the the second set, somebody calls out between his serves and and it really wound him up. And he t- he said, "Will you just shut up?" And then it happened again. And he just goes to the umpire and he goes, "No, this should not be happening. This these people, what are these people doing?" And it just it just kept snowballing and snowballing and it, this was all in the space of a couple of minutes and then and then he he turns to his 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 trainer and he says look if these people are going to behave like this why should i try why should i try and he he's going on on this this total monologue of of questioning why he's why he should bother for these people for these people uh, who who don't who, you know and there was all sorts of swearing going on and i think he lost he lost about six of the next eight games uh, as, as he just completely capitulated in in this red mist, really uh, out of nothing, out of nothing, and uh, and he just handed Sitsabas a chance. Does it doesn't take a psychology degree, does it? I mean, he's he's actually told us there what's going on. He's told us suddenly he's in a position where he's got it all to lose, and you know he's afraid of losing it, so mm. he starts not trying. Or starts looking for reasons to not try. But some, I don't even, I don't even think it was that. Something just wound him up for what for one second. Yeah, but why did he find he, he could find he could find he can find something to wind him up at any moment. Anything mm. can set him off. And it's, it, whether, it's whether or not he's in the mindset to to find that thing or to want to find that thing. And it, but then you saw this this red mist start to just dissipate very gradually at the start of set three and between one of the points i just heard him say under his breath man you've got anger management issues and <laughs> again he's just telling us exactly what where he is and what the issues are then we had the the issue with sitsapas and his shoes yet again which basically his shoelaces seem to he seemed the way he moves he says my movement makes my shoelaces break i mean i don't understand how how (laughs) how this can happen and as matt's very uh um succinctly put it have you ever heard of velcro stephanus because you need some Uh, and and so then he sends his what appear to be only one pair of shoes up to his dad i mean he basically gets his dad to do his shoelaces up for him and uh, and then <laughs> Dad couldn't sort it out, so he handed them behind him to Leander Pace, the Olympic bronze medalist of 1986. Is anyone sh- clear on why Leander Pace was there? Is he just been hired as a sort of standby cobbler for the Sitsipas <laughs> camp? I don't. I don't know why he was there. Yes, at which point Matt <laughs> decided to just add ah, a little bit of fun, um, edit <laughs> Leander Pays' uh, Wikipedia to uh, professional tennis player and cobbler. <laughs> which, uh, well, he did seem to fix them, didn't he? Yes, he did. But he, it, this he, is he not one off, one off problem for Sitzpass. It happened the previous day against Benoit Pair. I mean, he seems to be having ongoing shoelace issues, which, yes. I mean, feels like one of life's easier problems to solve to yes. me do you know what i mean got, like got to sort there, there's, there's enough to contend with in the realms of difficult to solve problems the, the, the match just got better and better it went into a final set tie break then curious i think was leading five two in the tie break um managed to go six five behind and then win it <laughs> so uh, you know it was it was it was just 
so much entertainment. I, I, I find it hard to, to really do it justice in, in, in describing it. I've, I've even missed out one of the best shots I think I've ever seen, which is the, over, the overarm service deliberate drop shot. Not an underarm serve. He hit one of those as well, but it was the one when he when he hit a conventional looking serve, but just took all the pace off it to the point where it was like a like the slower ball in cricket, and he hit it about fifty five miles an hour, and it just went over the net and effectively drop shot at his opponent. Yeah, I was watching that, feeling depressed at the fact that my my what for me would be <laughs> sort of a top speed serve was considered a drop shot. <laughs> in uh, in the realms of professional tennis yeah that was yeah but it was oh, well. it was spectacular and it, it it's both a brilliant tactic and also a disruption device and also a keeping Kyrgios loose working the Kyrgios psychology device and I'd never seen that one before I mean I think we've seen Mansell Barami hit a similar one uh, in the past, but that's you know with a bit of fancy racket work and hitting, hitting the, the 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 racket face under the back of the racket face underneath the ball. This was carving across it like in a slice serve, but just <laughs> effectively drop shotting at the same time. I don't know how you can do it. And uh, he got it. He got a. Was it that that elicited the sit to pass eye roll? <laughs> no, it wasn't. That was when he was doing more arguing, Kyrgios, oh, or right. talking to I the crowd. I really but, loved but, the sit-to-pass eye roll, which obviously got, got gift up straight away. It was so but, good. But the, the, the really nice thing is that although you, we saw that eye roll, there was also a lovely moment where Kyrgios brought sit-to-pass's shoes back from his dad and presented them to, to sit-to-pass on the court. I mean, it's, it is wonderful to, to watch this stuff. And then you you also see plenty of stuff that maybe I don't like to see as well, because I found the second set when he capitulated, I found it quite just depressing. Again, I I, I, I as much as I love the show and on and the, the what he's able to do, I just want him to do it more often at bigger events because you know we've seen it at Acapulco and Washington and you I mean look these are brilliant tournaments ATP 500s are really good tournaments across the board but you said the other week or maybe at the start of this week that this is his sweet spot ATP 500 events and I think you're absolutely right and it should not be that way because you know if you go back a couple of years ago his sweet spot was Miami and Indian Wells back-to-back tournaments at thousands getting to the finals and the semis. And you go back two years before that and he was doing it at Grand Slam quarterfinals and beating Nadal. He doesn't do those things anymore. So we need him to start doing those things. Oh, cue discussion about whether he's going to start doing those things. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with playing your best at ATP 500 level it's it's really endearing you know it's everybody's different those conditions just happen to suit him perfectly they're they're proper well-run well-attended well-publicized events where he gets the perfect amount of attention people are interested in him but they're not hounding him he gets yeah everything about it just suits him down to the ground the level of attention the level of interest, the level of crowd intimacy, the stadiums tend to be just the right size for him. It's just, yeah, it's his, it's his sweet spot. Um, and I, not everywhere is is going to be. I, I do feel like the US Open could 
could be a sweet spot um mm. as what, well what is but, nice he he does elevate these tournaments to to a different level doesn't he the he makes them feel like the biggest deals he makes such mm. a fuss of those tournament organizers and and he makes he he tells Acapulco and Washington you know I'm going to play this event for the rest of my career and and but afterwards I, I did like the fact that he said I feel like I've made major strides and he, he said uh, uh, and really interestingly just looking ahead and and I draw the comparison a little bit to Dan Evans who's you know, not as spectacularly wayward in his life choices as as Kyrgios most of the time. Although he's obviously failed a drugs test, so he's he's had he's had that, um, and he's had a few others as well. But he got himself on the straight and narrow by just developing a, a routine that works for him in the conjunction with David Felgate. And something Kyrgios said after his previous match was, you know, I just I do want to see if I can make make something of my talent and and. I, I want. I've just got myself a bit of a routine going, and I'm trying to have some good habits. And I thought, I don't think I've ever seen, heard Nick Kyrgios say, "I want to have some good habits." And what a really, what a good way of of looking at it to compartmentalize down to just good habits, rather than thinking I've got to do this, that, the other. Yeah, because as you as you pointed out when we were chatting earlier, he he. He doesn't need a coach. I know that, you know, he, he can't have a coach because by his own admission, he wouldn't listen to one. But realistically, what is a coach going to tell him about playing tennis? I know it's sort of justifying these spectacular level of arrogance we sometimes see and hear from him. But really, why should he listen to somebody telling him where to hit a tennis ball? His instincts know better than any coach where and how to hit a tennis ball I think as you said his his tennis IQ is is second to none I don't I mean I'm not sure there's much anyone would do technique wise to him so then you're talking about mentality aren't you and I'm not sure there is a coach out there that can that can crack that nut but if you just boil it down to the very pragmatic i.e you know a routine and habits then maybe he can sort of crack the nut himself. And I'm not talking about week in, week out, not cracking. He ain't going to do that. But as you said, starting to do what he did this week, once or twice a year at Masters level and once or twice a year at, at Grand Slam level, that's that's all we want. It's all we want because how many of what we've labelled the some of the best tennis matches of the year over the last few years, how many of them have involved Nick Kyrgios? You know, Kyrgios Nadal at Wimbledon. For me, that was still my my favourite match, I think, in the men's side, even more so than the final. Certainly, if I had to choose one to watch back, I would choose that match over over the men's final. You know, Kyrgios Federer at um, Miami a couple of years ago. He's just... But, you know, every match he played in Acapulco... So many of the best matches, the most entertaining matches involve Nick Kyrgios and and that's why we want him to do it more. And I do, look, I, I, I am so aware of the trap and I'm not going to fall into it, but I am just going to say that him talking about strides, him talking about, talking in terms of a direction of travel rather than a, than a sort of, listless, inert, just state 
of being and the fatalistic sort of acceptance of that state of being. I don't know, just talking about direction, strides, that language does feel a little bit indicative of a a difference to me. And also, David, the fact that he had prepared his victory speech. I suppose he would have given a speech either way, so... You know. On his phone, got his phone out. Yeah, but don't you just love the thought of Nick Kyrgios last night sitting in his hotel room preparing a list of uh, who to thank in the ceremony? I love that. I love that because I could imagine that being something that a year or two ago Nick Kyrgios would have thought not to have been cool, but mm. it was cool. Certainly the way he did it was cool anyway. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think he might have to pull out of Montreal or Cincinnati. Um, I think Carl Edmund would be pleased if it were Montreal. Yeah, they're due to I play spoke, first round, I spoke aren't to him about that first round matchup earlier today and he sort of said all the right things, but there was a slight look of terror in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yes, um, but I, I mean, he was feeling his back a bit today. Maybe that was nerves as well to some degree. Um, curious, but... It's so brutal. This is the most brutal of the lot in terms of run-ins to a slam. And a, a, a handful of players have won them all of uh, these tournaments. I mean, look, I, I'm not saying that Nick Kyrgios is going to win any of them because he's still that bloke who's ranked down in the 30s and 40s. Um, but David. I think he, if he wants to give himself a chance of doing anything meaningful, he's going to probably have to pull out of one of them. Yes, Catherine. My Arctic char has arrived. Okay, right. Hold by your beds, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I have the Arctic char. Thank you. Lovely. It's fish. What's it? What's it look like? Fish. Is it all right? Or <laughs> yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Okay, take a picture. Yeah, I will. We'll put it on it. We'll put it on Instagram, <laughs> folks. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> Arctic char um, will be more than just a description and a name very soon here on the Tennis <laughs> Podcast. Uh, right, well, uh, how long have you got before it goes cold? Or do uh, we need to wait until afterwards? No, I'm fine. It can wait. Okay. Uh, I, I've heard that Arctic char is, is best served lukewarm. Uh, is that right? Well, there yeah. you are, Tennis Podcast listeners. This is the, these are the lengths that Catherine Whitaker <laughs> will go to in order to make sure you have your Tennis Podcast, um, which... Um, has not yielded the greatest set of results for us in our predictions this week. Every week we uh, give you our predictions in our newsletter um, for the week ahead. And Absolute if you would like to... cluster fudge this week, David. We were terrible, weren't we? Um, and uh, yes, I said the Murray brothers would lose in the final in Washington. Uh, you, what did you say? I can't remember. I uh, said I'm... Sloane Stevens would win Washington and she lost... Right. In the first round to, oh, um, it was so that memorable. It was so long ago. Yes, she and, lost and to standby. Matt said that Guido Pella would win Los Cabos, thinking that it was on clay, only to discover that it was on hard court, and he lost. Actually, he got to the semi-final. So good effort from Guido Pella. But uh, <laughs> we, we were zero for three, folks. Uh, but if you would like to be able to listen or read about our weekly predictions every every single week, you can do uh, by signing up to our newsletter. It's free. It goes out uh, well just after we've released the podcast every 
every week. Um, and uh, if you want to do that, there's a link on your show notes on your phone or your iPad or whatever you're listening to this on. If you just go and scroll down, you can click and sign up for it. Anyway. Uh, the, Re- Rebecca the- Peterson. Oh, right. There we are. Well done, Rebecca. Yep. Good win over Sloane yeah. Stevens. Beat, beat Just the top seed and former champion Sloane Stevens in the Shattering one. Catherine's who, dreams. Let, who would have thought it? Who, who would have? It's not you. Um, <laughs> so the, who did win Washington? Well, it was, uh, in, on the women's side, it was Jessica Pagula, who's um, ranked, she's going to be ranked 55 in the world now, apparently. Uh, she beat Camilla Georgie 6-2-6-2. She's 25 years of age, is Pagula. And I mean, I've I've heard a name. I've, I I don't think I'd ever seen a player. I haven't heard too much about her. So what did I do, Catherine? I went and spoke to American Andrew, uh, Andrew Bridges, <laughs> who's uh, our intern, uh, following in the footsteps of uh, of Matt Roberts. And uh, and this is what he said about Jessica Pakula. He said, "So I started paying attention to her a few years ago." when her parents bought the NFL franchise for the Buffalo Bills in his hometown. And he and uh, her parents outbid Donald Trump, allowing him to pursue other opportunities, <laughs> which he obviously has done. Uh, Terry Donald Pagula, Trump has made it onto the tennis podcast. Yeah, sorry about that. Wow. Uh, Terry Pagula is an oil billionaire, and his wife, Kim, who is adopted off the streets of Seoul, is now considered the most powerful woman in U.S. professional sports. Jessie, who's won this title, has opened uh, three restaurants in Buffalo called Healthy Scratch and has a skincare line and a clothing line with a sister that they sell locally. She does every, uh, I, asked her, I asked him, well, what sort of player is she? Because I've seen the highlights of this winner when she had over Camilla Georgie, and she bid a 6-2, 6-2. You know how hard Georgie hits the ball. Well, yeah. this woman was just absorbing that power and sending it back at her, you know, just, just using it against her. Andrew says she does everything reasonably well from the back of the court. She's an aggressive baseliner, but she doesn't have a weapon that that could really take her to the next level. But her first serve is solid enough. She moves well, and she's had a tough uh, time with injury, but now she's healthy. So, uh, yeah, good for her. Well done. And uh, so there's American Andrew. Thanks for, for that, Andrew. That is uh, ex- extraordinary jessica pagula insight and yes thank you that's why you listen what, to this show what will we have for you on next week's david and Catherine read out whatsapp chats podcast <laughs> that's, that's what it's coming to <laughs> um so what else has happened uh los cabos was won by diego schwartzman over over taylor fritz uh, san jose uh, at the moment has arena sabalenka a set down against Zhang sai sai and sabalenka is looking a bit forlorn but nice to see her back in the final isn't it although she's six three two love down as i speak um she's had some good wins yeah this I'd, week. I'd call that a re- regardless of uh, how this final pans out she's got break back point sabalenka uh, regardless of how that pans out, I'd call this a really big week for Irina Sabalenka because it's yeah. been it's been a hideous year, hideous. Yeah, she needed this. Um, Kitzbühel, Dominic Team won. It's his first ever title on home soil um, in the Austrian mountainous location of Kitzbühel, and he beat Albert Ramos Vinolas, who'd uh, actually won Stad, I think, uh, the week before, and Team won that 
match in the final. I didn't know this. Uh, it was quite quite interesting looking at the quotes from team that he said, I first played or first went to, to Kitzbühel when I was six years of age. And so this has been a childhood goal of mine to win this tournament, which I think maybe is perhaps one of the reasons why he plays it every year, including next year where he's pulled out of the Olympics, which is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I'm, I'm baffled by that, I have to say, because I, I, I love how much he loves playing his home tournament. I love that he loves it enough to play, a, play it, even though it's a completely random <laughs> clay court 250 event when everyone else is either still mourning the grass court season or already looking ahead to the hard court season. It, I, I mean, I love that. But if it all comes from an affection for for Austria and, and playing, well, I suppose in Austria, but all of that, then surely you can take one year off for that and play the Olympics and represent your country there. Maybe win a medal. He would be in with a good shout of winning a medal in next year's Olympics. Best of three. If it's if it's a slow hard court, if it's anything like Indian Wells, then he absolutely would be. Kitchball will be there in in twenty twenty one. I don't get it. I don't get it. It makes me wonder if there's something else going on. But he's such a straightforward guy, isn't he? There's no side to him. So I, I maybe there's not. Maybe he he's just on a different plane to me. But I it I don't get it. I really don't. Mm. Bit of a shame. Um, but anyway, well done to him for winning uh, Kidspiel. We, we mentioned the Murray doubles because Jamie Murray and Andy Murray played doubles together this week in Washington and they had a f- most fantastic first round win, didn't they? Um, which was just really uplifting. And, and Andy Murray looked like, well, he looked like a proper tennis player. He looked like there was no hint of an injury at all. And uh, they ended up losing in the next round. What what was he like today? Because you got to speak to him, didn't you, in Montreal? How, how has he pulled up from it? And there are even suggestions that he might play singles in Cincinnati. Yeah, which is just if you take a step back from it and look at the year big picture, that is extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary that we're even talking about that, that he's even talking about that as a possibility. Um yeah, he he. I watched him practice, uh, play a practice singles set with Kyle Edmund today, and then around about an hour later, he came and uh, came and did some press. He lost the set, I think seven five. Um, he, oh, it's it's so incredibly difficult to to tell um, where he's at. He was ser- partly because he was serving. Badly. When it was going in, it was definitely beefier than it was over the grass court season. For sure, he's beefed up that serve. And we saw evidence of that in the doubles in Washington, didn't we? Um, but he just, he wasn't getting it in. He was really, really frustrated with himself. So it wasn't a practice set with very much rhythm. And um, Carl Edmund wasn't playing his best either. What I will say is he looked a lot more confident in his movement there was no tentativeness at all I can imagine that on grass the potential to slip maybe in would always place an element of hesitation or tentativeness in in the back of your mind there didn't seem to be that at all today on the hard courts he looked like you know maybe he still needs 
bit of extra sharpness, a bit of more, bit more of that explosive speed, that explosive movement. But he did look confident in it. And afterwards, when I spoke to him, he was extraordinarily relaxed, extraordinarily relaxed. I still think, although he's saying he's not yet decided, he wants to play a couple more practice singles sets or practice singles matches before making his mind up about singles in Cincinnati. I got the impression he was optimistic about that. He's uh, He said if he doesn't play singles in Cincinnati, he won't play singles at the US Open because he doesn't want his first singles tournament back to be best of five sets, which absolutely makes sense. I think he's really, really excited about getting to play singles again, but he's genuinely in no hurry and the reason he's in no hurry is because he thinks he's got time he thinks that this could be for real and he doesn't want it to be for one tournament or for for one swing he wants this to be a proper comeback which could maybe get him to somewhere near the top of the sport for several more years yet and in the context of that a couple of weeks here and there is is nothing. Look, he might he might be wrong. That might not be achievable, but he thinks it might be. He thinks it's worth having a shot at. And that being the case, there's there's no need to rush it. Yeah. Well, the the first match they played in the doubles was against uh Nicola Mahou and Edouard Roger Vasselin. I mean, it was just the most fantastic doubles match. Just reminded you once again of how great doubles is to watch um the second match that they played they actually were winning that one as well um but ended up losing out to raven Klassen and uh, michael venus 10-7 the third set uh tiebreak but they're a really good doubles pair the murray brothers we've seen that in the in the past um in the davis cup final of course and and the, the run to to that title i think jamie murray's now going to go back and play with neil skupski over the next uh, couple of weeks in montreal and cincinnati and then at the u.s open whilst andy is going to play with feliciano lopez uh, this week in montreal which is which is pretty cool one thing i, I just sorry go on catherine well, ju- just a, a minor update on that. He said if Murray said if he doesn't play singles in Cincinnati, he will play doubles with Lopez. So basically, Lopez has made himself available as his as his doubles partner if he wants to play doubles, which is you know what a what an option to have. What a great sort of resource in the Murray comeback. Uh, Feliciano yeah. Lopez is proving to be, and he said that he. If he again, if he didn't play singles at the U.S. Open, Murray said he would want to play with Lopez, uh, but that Lopez was under a little bit of pressure from his Davis Cup captain uh, to play with a a Spaniard, the U.S. Open. So there could be okay. who is the Spanish Davis Cup captain? I forget. Can't remember. I'm googling. Okay. All right. You Google while I just uh, say this. Uh, we've had a lot of notes and messages from. Uh, listeners who were frustrated at the fact that they were unable to... Go on. It's Sergi Bruguera. Okay. Well done, Sergi. Welcome (laughs) to the Tennis Podcast. Um, Yeah, we we had a number of messages over the last uh, few days from people who had been hoping to watch that Murray doubles second match uh, against Klaas and and Venus and were unable to because it just wasn't uh, put out on the international feed anywhere. And, and obviously Catherine's in Montreal for Amazon Prime Video who have the the rights to the ATP circuit and uh, 
and we'll be producing all these matches from from Montreal and Cincinnati and the US Open as well over the next coming coming weeks. And a few people, well, a lot of people were were upset that they weren't able to watch this match. So what we did is we asked Amazon to why it was that that match wasn't available to be seen and uh, and a spokesperson got back to us and said that as an international rights holder we were only provided coverage of the stadium court at the city open uh, that day the murray doubles match was unfortunately not made available to us as the match was placed on a different court for scheduling reasons we apologize for the previous incorrect information on our site we believed we would have the match available and apologize to our customers for this mistake it, it does remain one of those frustrations, doesn't it, Catherine, that I think at, at ATP, certainly 250 and 500 level tournaments, not all doubles matches are produced. And I, and I spoke to Simon Higson at the, the ATP tour today, who's uh, their vice president of communications, has said that there are talks ongoing about what to do with the situation and, and how, how you know next steps to be taken i think there, there is a desire to certainly improve the number of matches that are produced and put out because companies like uh, rights holders like amazon they can only show what they're what they're given basically what they're sent as international rights holders and it's and and then the the viewer ends up missing out if there are matches they really want to see i, I just think we're at a stage now where it's there's so much content out there that doubles matches just need to be produced across the board on the tour, no matter no matter what they are and no matter where you are. Yeah, I mean it's it's another it's another sort of example and exposition of how how lacking the the sort of the market forces arguments are because because you're you're creating a marketplace how on earth are people supposed to be interested in doubles if it's not even available for them to to see and get interested in and then and then the lack of interest will be used as a, a reason not to show it look i understand the i understand the the demands the resources required to to produce doubles matches and everything and and you know there's a lot of competing factors but i do think the climate is changing um and it's probably needed to change i know it's something that jamie murray has been campaigning for for a long time to to increase the the production of doubles matches just to make it available to a bigger market bring it to more people's attention um and you know recent recent developments seem to be shifting the goalposts a little bit and i think that's yeah. uh, that's very welcome because as you said uh, doubles has been having a moment and it feels like it's back in fashion and there are so many more opportunities for it to be showcased and and uh, it is so much fun to watch if you actually have an opportunity to spare the time to and and are given it on your on your device or whatever you watch these matches on in order to see them uh so that's that um just very quickly catherine 
matches in Montreal in the first round, the draw. Uh, I mean, and, I mean, we we just had a look before we came on at Toronto. My goodness, it's hard to know where to where to look. There are so many incredible draws in the WTA event in Toronto. But I mean, you mentioned that first round of Kyrgios against Edmund. There's also Vavrinka versus Dimitrov with the winner to face Hatchinov. There's uh, Nadal against Diminor or Dan Evans, who's qualified in Montreal. And there's Dominic Team against Shapovalov or Herbert. It, it's a, a cracking week in store, isn't it? On on both the men's and women's side, because on, in Toronto, where because you, you've got the men's event in Montreal, the women's event in Toronto, and in the women's event, um, you've got Serena Williams, you've got Simona Halep, you've got Naomi Osaka, basically everybody. Yeah, and I mean, look at some of the first rounders in Toronto. Wozniacki, Putin Saver, uh, hang on, Sasnovich against Mertens. Uh, you've got Keys against Vekic, Pavlyuchenkova, Sabalenka, Ostapenko, Garcia, um, uh, Bouchard, Andreescu. I mean, that is, the Canadians are salivating in Montreal about that. And in <laughs> fact, I. Um, I was chatting to a Canadian journalist earlier on today who was saying that a couple of Canadian journalists this week will be commuting between Toronto and Montreal to cover wow. both events because they just can't afford to miss anything, you know, with Felix Auger-Aliassime being the big deal he is here in Montreal. This is his first time ever playing his home event. Of course, he he played the, the Rogers Cup once before last year as a wildcard, but that was in Toronto and he's from Montreal. So this is a huge deal for him. Denis Shapovalov and Milos Raonic are a big deal as well, of course. But Felix is is the deal in Montreal. And then to have Andreescu against Bouchard first round in Toronto, these are, you know, none of that can be missed for, for the prominent uh, Canadian journalists. Kerber, Kazakina, Sharapova, Kontovate, Suarez, Navarro against Venus Williams, Sakari against Risk. Uh, it's just uh, Konta Yastremska, awesome. Azarenka, Georgie. It is all brilliant. Kenin, Suwe, Shea. It's Who's so got? good. Oh, I'm not even sure she's got into the draw. Oh, dear. Poor no, Matt. I don't think she's in it. Was she in oh, qualifying? Dear. Don't see oh, her. No, she's oh, well. not. She's not there. Next time, maybe Victoria. <laughs> it's, well, to be honest, that's not a draw that I think she'd uh, fare well in. It's just, just rid- ridiculously good. So exciting. Yeah, it sure is. Okay, well, I think that just about does it, Catherine. I think you better go and have your Arctic char, whatever that is, um, and uh, and let us all know about it next week. Uh, can't wait. And uh, we will be back with another show once um, Montreal and Toronto have finished. Catherine will be there throughout for Prime Video, and we'll catch up straight after the, the finals, etc. The week after, we've already hatched a plan, hopefully, to meet up with uh, with Matt Roberts, because uh, we, know, we know you want to hear from him. And then uh, we'll be daily throughout the US Open of course here on the tennis podcast and then we will be done with our Grand Slam dailies after that for the year we've got loads more things we still want to do over the course of the next uh, few months to hopefully give you as many um, good shows as we possibly can and uh, then we'll be kick-starting our 
2020 season from December the 1st. If you'd like a reminder about that and you want to pitch in in order to help us continue this uh, this show that we, we produce every year, you can do so. Uh, we'll give you a reminder on December the 1st if you sign up for, for it um Again, go to your show notes and you can stick your name down if you want to have your, your email address on there and we'll just send you a note and say, right, we're, we're, we're crowdfunding our 2020 season um, and uh, so stick your name down there. And we are produced in association with The Telegraph. We're executive produced by TennisBalls.com. We have our mascot who is Rio with a Y. Um, and we will be back next week. Catherine, have a great week in Montreal and we'll see you all next week. 